Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. I am your host, Kurt Flewelling, and I wish we could talk about something other than COVID-19. However, uh, these are the times that we are in. Let us start as we do often, and quoting a little scripture, maybe that'll help you feel better. It certainly helps me feel better. Psalm 31:24 says, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Uh, one more before we get started on the issues of the day. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think that's a good way to uh, start the program today. Um, things move very fast with COVID-19. Obviously, um, Donald Trump uh, has come up with uh, a proposal since the last time uh, we had discussed this, and he calls it Opening Up America Again. And it's um, very interesting. It's a uh, it's a three phase approach, which is a nice combination of uh, government federal government edicts to be implemented uh, at the discretion of state governors, which I think is a, a very wise thing to do. Um, our government officials at all levels are are to protect and serve us, but um, I'm a big states rights guy as are many of you. So I think this is um, a nice laid out approach, uh, undoubtedly and predictably, was met with a lot of criticism right uh, from the get-go. But it is interesting how it goes through the various phases. It has uh, suggestions uh, for employers, uh, continue to encourage your employees to work um, uh, remotely, telework as they call it, uh, return to work in phases, close common areas, minimize non-essential travel, adhere um, to CDC guidelines, strongly consider special accommodations for personnel who are members of a vulnerable population, which is very important. Um, it also does go on to um, address employee, uh, employees and um, what they should be doing and also um, specific types of employers, schools and organized youth activities in phase one uh, should stay closed, basically, is what it says. Visits to senior living facilities and hospitals should be prohibited. Um, large venues, uh, sit-down dining, movie theater, sports venues, etc., can open uh, can operate under strict physical distancing protocols So, uh, and places of worship. So uh, President Trump, at the discretion of the governors, can, uh, can open up some of these large venues. Elective surgeries can resume. This is a big one because to some, you know, one person's elective surgery or frivolous surgery or unnecessary surgery is um, certainly a, a surgery that others would consider vital. So that should be up to you and your doctor um, to dictate what uh, elective surgery is, but um, currently many states' elective surgery has been shelved. 
And with this phase one rollout, um, the government says uh, we can resume doing that as clinically appropriate on an outpatient basis. Um, gyms can open if they adhere to strict physical distancing and sanitation protocols. I know a lot of you workout freaks um, love that. And bars should remain closed. I know that's not too uh, pleasing of information to many of you who like to frequent bars, but um, good idea at this point in many states, uh, if not all states, to have some of those bars um, or all of those bars to be remain closed. I'm not going to go into all the phases of this, but phase two and phase three address employers and their employees and all of the aforementioned um, areas that we uh, congregate. And as we meander through phase two, phase three, we start to uh, see that life um, in America slowly, but very, very surely does get back to where it was prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, I think this is a good idea. I, uh, as I said before, undoubtedly met with some criticism by detractors of Donald Trump and people that perhaps aren't detractors of Donald Trump, but are uh, individuals that uh, feel that this uh, sequestering, this self-isolation, this uh, basically shutdown of the way we live as Americans should continue. Um, and as we've chronicled on this show, and as you've heard uh, several shows, media reports, um, this is a uh, this is a yin and a yang between healthcare providers, healthcare professionals, epidemiologists, politicians, uh, big business, Wall Street. Uh, everybody has a vested interest in um, in some piece of this situation, and the uh, the clashing of our constitution of our way of life, freedom, liberty, capitalism, um, is, is directly colliding in many ways with uh, states' rights and government edicts, uh, particularly governors in, in states that are governed by Democrats. And invariably, it doesn't take uh, rocket science to predict this, as I've said before, this will come to a head um, and one of the things that is making this come to a head faster and faster and faster is my next story. New jobless claims totaled 4.4 million last week, topping 26 million over the past five weeks. That is a staggering figure that I, I, I can't get my head around. Um, the article says the number of workers claiming new unemployment benefits was 4.4 million last week, the Labor Department reported Thursday as the economy remains essentially shut down because of the coronavirus. Over 500,000 workers filed for unemployment benefits last week in California, which was less than um, the previous week of 600,000, which is good. Um, Florida also saw claims increase by over a half million, a jump of over 300,000 from the prior week. Economists had projected 4.5 million new claims for the last week. Morgan Stanley predicted claims that would total 3.8 and that the unemployment rate for April would be 15%. The unemployment rate peaked at 10% during the Great Recession, 
according to the Labor Department. Over 26 million people have lost their jobs in the last five weeks, the jobless claims numbers show. So when you read and digest or try to digest numbers such as this, is it any wonder that there is an ever-growing drumbeat to let's get back to some degree of normalcy? We all don't want to see people die, uh, but the staggering reality is this has been a multi-trillion dollar sequestration, basically, of, of the American workforce uh, as it pertains to this last article. And that is simply unsustainable. It cannot be sustained. And that's why President Trump is coming out with a, uh, a uh, three-phased three um, program in order to get America back to work. And in addition to work, many of the other things that we enjoy as Americans. Um, you know, these things that we talk about are always um, commented on with politics in mind. And it would be nice if politics weren't involved at every turn. But um, we would be naive to think it wasn't going to rear its ugly head in this situation. And uh, I just, one thing that I, I um, before I dive into the political aspect of this, one thing that I was just thankful for, um, I am, you know, we, we get new listeners all the time, so I might as well clarify this. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I am a conservative. I believe in the Constitution. I am a born-again Christian. Uh, many would call me a faith-based voter if you want to do that. So just if you are new to the show, and you want to know who I am, where my head is on this, uh, I just chronicled that. But I, I was watching the most recent um, the most recent uh, news conference that Donald Trump has, and I was just thankful to God up above that we have in office, and, and again, for those of you that listened, you know this. For those of you that are new to the program, um, not a huge Donald Trump fan. Uh, I like Donald Trump. I think he's done a lot of good things. Um, I've been critical of him and some of the things he has done and particularly said uh, much more than uh, uh, the Make America Great crowd out there. Um, so I, I'm looking at this pretty objectively, but I am very thankful that he is in office and he is a businessman, and he delegates well, and he sees a project, if you will, and everything he looks at is basically like a construction project. And he sees the uh, challenges, the pitfalls. Uh, he puts people in place. He delegates very well. He puts people in place that know what they're doing. And I um, uh, don't always agree with Dr. Fauci, who I do respect, don't always agree with many of the people that he's put in place, but his game plan and in, in general, the way he approaches problems and tasks is, is literally a breath of fresh air as opposed to, I, I can't even, you know, just insert your, your favorite Democrat. Um, I can't, I cannot imagine. I just cannot imagine a Democrat administration handling this and the the uh, heavy-handed central planning top-down um, approach 
to problem solving that would undoubtedly ensue if Hillary Clinton was in office or Barack Obama or Joe Biden. Um, and, and don't even get me started uh, to think of if Bernie Sanders was in office. But, um, you know, to, to watch him deconstruct this problem and tackle it from all angles is pretty interesting. It really is. Um, specifically, uh, General Semonite, who um, is the head of the Army Corps of Engineers, um, when I heard that guy talk, I said, you would never, ever in a billion years find someone in a Democrat administration that had that clear, succinct, forthright, can-do vision, uh, positive, optimistic, but realistic attitude like General Semonite has articulated, um, executed 32 projects in the last month, built very quickly, um, all of them by the Army Corps of Engineers, working in consort with the federal government, governors and mayors. And, and he is very, very specific when he purposefully says this, he is working for, I just said the words working with, but he uses the words working for, knowing that government entities should be serving us rather than lording over us. Um, he says, I am working for the federal government or for the various governors of the states or the mayors when they want uh, certain on-the-fly hospitals or housing uh, uh, you know, facilities built to um, combat this COVID-19 situation. So I... Um, it wasn't merely the specifics of what General Semonite was um, saying. It was also just, uh, as I said earlier, the, the forthrightness, the clarity, the confidence, the we're going to get this done and it's going to take everybody to get involved rather than, you know, just uh, talking to a sea of, of hopeless little waifs out there waiting for checks from the federal government. So General Semonite was um, was just very impressive to me. And I thought I would um, just articulate that before we even started to talk about, um, you know, the invariable politics of this. And uh, what we'll try to do is go through uh, rapid fire um, some of these articles and as I stated, said before, it's a collision course. It's a collision course of people that want to continue to shut this thing down and people that just want to open it up. And they're very good, decent, intelligent, thoughtful, apolitical people on both sides of this thing. But uh, make no mistake, and most of them are firmly on the left, and there's a number of people that are taking full advantage of this pandemic and what it is doing to our economy and how it is damaging certain politicians. Um, but if I know anything about Donald Trump, it, it may appear to be damaging him um, when when people get on and say he's not doing this right or he's not doing that right. But I, I wish I had a nickel for every time the left has felt that they have boxed Donald Trump into a corner and finally ha, 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 got him. And Donald Trump invariably checkmates them every single time. I can't even I can't even think of many times off the top of my head where they put him in a corner and 
and just, uh, you know, in this game of politics, I don't think it should be a game, but to many it is. Uh, I don't think they've won a whole lot of times. And, um, and I think if they feel that they've got him finally with this pandemic and, and the economy was his, uh, his glittering jewel of a topic at, at uh, his rallies. Well, you know, this pandemic has kneecapped him presumably can't hold rallies. That's his, um, that's his wheelhouse. That's his forte. Can't hold rallies and the economy, his glittering jewel, as we just chronicled, um, 15% unemployment. Some people are, are predicting. Um, and this was an economy that a very, very short period of time ago was at, um, you know, 3.7% um, unemployment. But do not count Donald Trump out. Um, he, he, the people that are Donald Trump devotees are not going anywhere. I'm not saying his reelection is a slam dunk. Anybody that's listened to me for a while knows that. But um, don't count him out. So this article says more of the country moves toward easing pandemic restrictions. Significant parts of the country are moving to ease pandemic restrictions in the coming days. President Trump said Tuesday that 20 states are making plans, and we will go over some articles how um, the governors of those states are, are taking tremendous heat for daring to want to reopen their states to some degree of normalcy. Um, he says they're reopening their economies in the very near future. They're going to be doing it safely. They're going to be doing it with tremendous passion. Trump said they want to make, um, they want to get back to work. And goes on to say Republican governors in Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee announced plans to allow more commercial activities. And uh, we, we'll get into an article about this particular gentleman in a second here. But it says Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia said that gyms, bowling alleys, tattoo and piercing shops, barbers, cosmetologists, nail salons, and estheticians can open on Friday. That would be the 24th of April. Uh, movie theaters and restaurants will start reopening on the 27th of April. The plan drew criticism from some, such as Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, who warned it would be a risk, um, there would be a risk of resurgence of the virus. Um, Dr. Deborah Burks, um, part of Donald Trump's coronavirus task force uh, response team, was noncommittal when asked about the plan on Tuesday. So... Um, Here's the groundwork. They, uh, many of these states, and um, I haven't checked all 20 of those states, but I would bet a dime to a donut that most of them are Republican states, are very um, happy that Donald Trump has put forth this um, three-phase plan to get America back to work, and they're taking full advantage of it. And as I, I said earlier in the program, when this rolls out, it will be at the discretion of the governors to, and their team of healthcare advisors, no doubt, to um, assess where is my state, uh, where are the um, are the coronavirus um, cases down, are the fatalities down, uh, is is it have we have we turned the corner on the curve, uh, or flattened the curve, as they say, and. Working with healthcare providers and professionals, they will, and 
business, they will deem at what phase our juncture their particular state happens to be in, which is a very prudent approach. Um, as we know, with these hotbeds of the virus, um, what makes sense in New York City, or particularly in New Jersey, the most densely populated state in the union, does not make a whole lot of sense in Wyoming. And um, so these governors will undoubtedly be at different phases of their get their state back to normalcy um, than other states will be. So this next article said, um, that doesn't work. Ron DeSantis says Florida is flattening the virus curve without draconian orders. Um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who was taking a lot of heat in the last few weeks uh, because he didn't shut down a lot of things and then finally did, He's kind of pushing back again, saying um, he touted his state's response to the coronavirus pandemic by pointing out that the curve appears to be flattening without draconian orders like other states have implemented. Right now, as of last night, and this is April 21st, and I have to keep stating the dates because, um, you know, these things change hourly. But um, Governor DeSantis says 730 people statewide were in the ICU. Mr. DeSantis told Fox News, people said our hospitals were going to be overrun. We've actually increased hospital bed space and ICU bed space during this pandemic. So there were fewer beds available in Florida in February than there are now. So Florida's flattening the curve. People have done a great job. And it says DeSantis mentioned that other states, including New York, imposed far stricter measures and didn't have the same results. And he concludes by saying, you go back six weeks, everybody was saying Florida was going to be worse than New York, DeSantis said, uh, because obviously they have a a very elderly population in Florida. And it was a constant, people were saying that. If you look at what's happened, that's not true. You know, New York, for example, has about 25 times the number of fatalities in Florida, even though we have 2 million more people. I never did draconian orders here like you see in some other states where a dad would get arrested for or get cited for talking to his daughter in the park. That doesn't work. We've never done that. Um, I'll read one more paragraph here. Just over 27,000 coronavirus cases have been confirmed in Florida and 839 people have died. This toll is well below other highly populated states such as New York, where almost 20,000 people have died from the virus in California, which has lost over 1,200. Um, so here is the yin and here is the yang. Um, we have to open this thing up, but we have to do it responsibly. And the problem is politics always rears its ugly head. And um, when uh, anybody even speaks of opening up their state, opening up uh, various municipalities to this, that, or the other. Uh, Invariably, there is a very strong pushback by the shut-it-all-down crowd, dare I say, some anarchists out there that just want to burn this whole thing down, whole thing meaning the United States of America and, and our way of life. And there's going to be pushback. There's going to be demagoguery. There's going to be out and out lying. And um, and we see this. We see this by uh, our talking heads on television and the radio. And we also see this, um, unfortunately, in Congress. Um, 
And and one of the ways this can be forwarded, um, and this article that I have here says top coronavirus model significantly lowers total estimates in the United States um, as far as deaths are concerned. And so, so, so one of the ways that this um, this demagoguery that can go on, this this crafting of the narrative, is to um, refer to models. Uh, it, it has been done for decades with a global warming debate, and it is uh, in full force here with uh, the COVID-19 situation. Now, right out front, admittedly, this COVID-19 thing has a lot of moving parts, and some of them are purely clinical. They are not political in nature. And um, I would be deferential to, enti- uh, to any entity that has come out with projections of um, fatalities that are far worse than what we're probably going to end up seeing, simply because um, we didn't understand or have our arms around this thing because it was it was ever evolving. It was something was new every day, and and um, I'm not one of these guys that's going to say that these people are pulling it out of their whatever. Um, because you know many of these uh, research institutes, uh, one of the main ones, the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, they're pretty credible. So when they say that. Um, you know, we've revised our, our totals. Uh, I don't necessarily think they had any agenda in the first place to overstate the um, the estimates of death and mayhem. But I, I, I won't be quite as deferential to other entities. And you really can't, you know, swing a dead cat without hearing from or seeing somebody that's an expert or some group that's an expert that's putting out a model that is um, done almost purely for political advantage. But as I said, the University of Washington Institute for Health and Metrics um, is a pretty credible entity. And this article here says they've lowered their projection of total deaths um, in the United States, which they predicted to be just a little bit shy of 69,000 to just over 60,000. And that was updated uh, Friday of April the 17th. Um, The projection is significantly lower than prior estimates from the, um, they call them the IHME, which last last month was predicting 84,000 deaths from the virus. and here, here's where it comes in that this is not, you know, this is a moving target. Those supportive of such modeling say that it is not a crystal ball, but a snapshot of a situation based on the data and facts available at the time. As those facts change, so do the models. Since those 84,000 estimates, more states have implemented sweeping social distancing and lockdown measures in an effort to slow the spread of infections, revising models, um, and it says that they show that these strategies are working. Um, that is modeled on what America is doing. That's what's happening. Um, that is all well and good. But when people are nervous and people are told, don't come out of your house, or if you do, you, you need gloves, boots, 
hazmat suit, um, all sorts of masks just to, uh, just to go get some toilet paper, which you'd be in luck if you could find some. Um, when we're living in a world like that, it's dangerous when these projections are so high because when the projections are really high, that's when sweeping legislation happens. That's when huge uh, bills go out, $2 trillion um, coronavirus bill a little while ago, another half a trillion is is up for debate right now. Um, and a lot of pork, as we've chronicled on this show, is involved in many of these bills. Um, so on the one hand, again, I keep using the words yin and yang. You have a situation where um, you want to be deferential because we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's working. We don't know what's not working. But at the same time, we don't want to be given out pork to states that are just underwater economically who have palms on both sides of their hands. Um, we can't do that. And while the noble, altruistic, clinically minded, decent human beings are trying to figure this out, there's a, a very ever-growing part of this equation, politicians and, and burn-it-all-down types, that are really looking at this as a power grab, as a money grab, and they could, they could care less if this entity that I just chronicled said there was going to be 84,000 deaths in the United States, but now they say 60,000. That's a significant reduction. They don't care. Um, they are moving fast. They are moving furiously. So the problem with throwing out huge numbers and scaring the crap out of people is that's when people that are trying to toe the line, and we have a few of them in Congress, not many, they simply be, uh, become shouted down by the left and the right, and and they are accused of not caring about people until they mindlessly vote yes for some huge bill, a very large percentage of which has nothing to do with coronavirus relief. So uh, we move on to uh, the guy that I chronicled before. This is Governor Kemp of Georgia, who earlier this week... Um, basically declared, you know, we are open for business and we are um, we are forging ahead quite quickly and forcefully and responsibly. Um, he was roundly criticized by many. Um, this article says the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has defended his decision to open up the state early from its coronavirus shutdown, telling Fox News it was a measured step that had been based on careful data analysis. Kemp has been under fire after he announced that from Friday, establishments including gyms, bowling alleys, body art studios, hair designers, and nail care artists could reopen for minimum basic operations. And as you might imagine, state of Georgia ain't like it used to be. Um, it really uh, used to be a firmly red state and um, it is ever going blue um, in many uh, in many ways. Uh, Governor Kemp barely won an election um, a few years ago now, I guess it was, um, against a flaming socialist in the state of Georgia, which is 
absolutely mind-boggling, but he almost um, he almost lost that. So among the cities where were uh, opposition to Governor Kemp was was uh, Savannah Mayor Van Johnson, who called the move reckless. Albany Mayor Bo Duro, who dubbed it irresponsible, and Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis, who said he was shocked by Kemp's decision. Now, regardless of the strength of those words, and those are some pretty indicting words, I bet a dime to a donut if I did some research. Um, those mayors of those particular states have not forwarded much in the um, in the area of how are we going to go forward? Um, because if, if, if my state is any um, example of that, as we chronicled on the show last week, the legislature wants to put forth efforts to reopen the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and Governor Wolf has threatened to veto that bill. Um, people that oppose this are really not doing, in general, much more than holding press conferences with scientists or epidemiologists or whomever next to them for cover and and just throwing out dates april 15th april 30th may 8th may 15th and they're really not doing much more than hey um stay home enjoy your family for another couple weeks um at the least love the ideas or hate the ideas there are ideas coming fast and furiously, and they are predominantly from Republicans, on how can we be safe? How can we get this thing opened up again? So Governor Kemp says um, that uh, his his decision to reopen Georgia was done in conjunction with public health officials based on the data that we are seeing in our state and the gateways to this phase one part of the president's plan. Um, he said, referring to the 18-page document, Opening Up America Again, released by the White House last week, um, when asked what data he used to make the decision, especially with deaths rising in Georgia, Kemp said he had the backing of Dr. Kathleen Toomey, the state public health commissioner, with whom he announced the reopening on Monday. So you have uh, Governor DeSantis taking heat, Governor Kemp taking heat, and all in the midst of this, um, as it is with anything political, um, the left is not going to sit there. And while this shutdown economy is is serving them well, since they hate Donald Trump and the economy that he basically has taken credit for, they're not going to sit there and and let the the various governors of the states and Donald Trump. Um, attempt to reopen this thing because sadly, and it is very sad, they, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are just fine with the fact that Americans are hurting, the unemployment rate is through the roof, and they're looking at this as an opportunity to to wrest power away from Republicans, to um, make more legislation that will never go away. And to give out goodies to people that are not affected at all by the COVID-19 crisis. So here we have an article that says Trump forced into tough talk about the possibility of virus resurgence in the fall. And this is an interesting article because I I, I think 
when the left, when people on the left who understand that Donald Trump really does know how to win these skirmishes with the left, I, I think that if this thing starts opening up and these numbers start going down and we're seeing both of those things happen, I think the next talking point to, again, scare people is, well, if we open this thing up, the virus is going to um, rear its ugly head again in the fall. So this article says President Trump was forced into a public reckoning Wednesday about the possibility of the coronavirus coming back in the fall, even as he tried to project optimism that the country is emerging from the pandemic and that the economy is opening back up. The, the situation arose when Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield was quoted saying that having both the coronavirus and the flu this fall would be more difficult. Um, Trump, in a very uh, Trump-like fashion, called the report fake news and said that Redfield would be clarifying his remarks. And lo and behold, Mr. Redfield did clarify his remarks. Speaking at a White House press briefing Wednesday evening, Redfield said that he was quoted accurately, but that rather than playing up the danger of a resurgence of the coronavirus, he was trying to impress upon the public the need of getting flu shots. That kind of reeks of being taken behind the woodshed. But anyway, we're going to have two viruses circulating at the same time, he said. Trump and the coronavirus task force officials sought to emphasize that the country will be better prepared to handle any outbreaks of the coronavirus in the fall. If the coronavirus does come back, it will come back in smaller doses that we can contain, in my opinion. It can never be anything like that we've witnessed right now. And this is Trump speaking. A clinician, Dr. Deborah Burks, the coordinator of the White House Corona virus task force concurred. We'll be able to find it earlier this time, she said, we'd be able to stay in the containment phase. If we have embers of corona coupled with the flu, that's not going to be pleasant, Trump acknowledged. Controversy arose Wednesday regarding another government health official. Now, I'm not going to get into this part of the article. But anyway, the, the thrust of this little dust-up is to me indicative of Democrats thinking ahead. They know that with these unemployment numbers, these staggering economic devastation, they know that um, the country simply, Democrat or Republican, will not stand for you know sitting under our beds for weeks on end. It's just not what we do as Americans. We're not stupid, but we're not um, other parts of the world. We'll just be kind. And they know that. So I think the next phase, the next narrative that you're going to see when the economy starts roaring back, and it will, and the uh, incidence of people contracting the coronavirus and, and subsequently the few people that are dying from it uh, start to diminish dramatically, the next phase that you're going to see is we're reopening this thing too early, and we're going to have blowback in the fall because of um, you know a, a resurgence of the virus. Now, what's interesting is there are people that felt all along 
that this hunkered down mentality was wrong. And many of them are, in, in, oddly enough, even they were, even though they were and are opposed to these lockdowns, which are largely promoted enthusiastically by leftists, they are not leftists themselves, but they agree with the leftists in the respect that because we do not have herd immunity, and you've heard that terminology throughout this, um, that having a, uh, a lockdown is, is something that's really not good, and perhaps the virus will double, double back because all of these people are going to enter back into the community who have not developed any low-level immunity to the coronavirus, and one of which uh, of these folks was a uh, an expert. He is a uh, a Swedish epidemiologist. Um, he's an advisor to the Swedish government. Um, his uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, but we'll try. Johan, uh, Dr. Johan uh, Gasecki. He is the world's most senior epidemiologist and uh, quite the authority on things of this nature. And uh, the article says he lays out with typical Swedish bluntness why he thinks that the lockdown measures uh, employed in the United States and several other countries were foolish. Um, and he ticks off a number of bullet points here. It says the UK policy on lockdown in other European countries are not evidence-based. The correct policy is to protect the old and the frail only. These are his opinions, not mine. This will eventually lead to herd immunity as a byproduct, which many people understand and are in agreement with. The initial UK response before um, the 180-degree U-turn was better. The Imperial College paper that he's referring to, this was a paper that touted the um, – uh, how how the lockdown was very effective in um, stemming the spread of the virus, which I don't think a lot of people can doubt that. But as far as any resurgence of the virus, um, there's differing uh, schools of thought. It says the Imperial College paper was not very good and has never been, has never seen, uh, he has never seen an unpublished paper have so much political uh, policy impact. He says the paper was too pessimistic and such models are dubious basis uh, for public policy anyway. So um, in, in total here, Dr. Gasecki feels that by all of us just kind of hunkering down and staying out of the uh, public, um, we are running the risk of, of not developing the low-level immunities that we all develop on a daily basis by going anywhere to a myriad of uh, disorders out there, the flu and, and all sorts of other things. Um, and he feels that it's quite silly to be um, all segregated as we are. Um, you know, he may very well be right in uh, lower population centers, but particularly where we are here in Philadelphia, certainly in North Jersey and New York, where um, the population is, is very dense. Um, we, we know, we don't have to be an epidemiologist to know that this, this virus does indeed spread like wildfire, and social distancing in one form or another is probably a good idea. Um, I think the rub, and this is where we are very, very fast approaching, is 
And, and I think uh, Governor DeSantis says it best when he calls them draconian measures. Um, and he alludes to, you know, um, drones flying over neighborhoods to to make sure that a dad and his daughter who are, you know, jogging are, are not too close to one another. These are un-American things. They're silly things. They're, they're things that our, our, our governmental officials who we all pay for could probably be spending um, their time doing other things rather than silly things like that. That's what we're talking about. And, and I think as you see this thing play out and start to dwindle, um, clear the curve, if you will, or flatten the curve and then get to back to normalcy, they, they say it's always darkest before the dawn. And I, I think the darkness I'm referring to is the doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down uh, by the left, uh, the demagoguery, the disinformation, the craziness, um, you're going to see that actually heighten um, simply because Americans are just not going to stand for uh, not being able to do anything for much longer. Um, to that point, again, uh, you, you can't engage in that demagoguery. You cannot engage in that disinformation and mudslinging and, and, and trying to get your political adversary um, unless you have willing accomplices in the media. And we all know that. And this, um, I, I did see an interesting article by Rich Lowry, uh, how the media completely blew the Trump ventilator story. And that was something that my antennas were up on um, very early on. Uh, we heard all sorts of widespread apocalyptic uh, people are uh, they're, they're choosing between one age group and another, which um, may or may not be true. People are dying um, to the tune of, of just exponential proportions. Um, Governor Cuomo uh, told President Trump he needed 30 to 40,000 ventilators. And then Trump kind of pushed back and he said, well, you have 12,000. Why don't you use them? And then we started to dance on the head of a pin and talk about stockpiling and this and that and the other. Um, I'm not going to read this article, but the bottom line is several states, and I knew this was going to be the case. I have a lot of um, friends in the healthcare industry and a lot of a lot of good friends that are in the know on this. Several states have surpluses of ventilators. And I, I had said this several weeks ago that the bulk of these ventilators that many companies are making fast and furiously are going to be shipped out to second and third world countries that don't have healthcare systems and healthcare delivery systems such as the United States has, and they will need them, and we simply will not. Um, and and the media again with the express intent of crumbling Donald Trump and anybody that votes for Donald Trump um, did a very poor job and a very sad job of, of putting forth a lot of disinformation as far as the ventilator situation is concerned. And and you look at, at many states and what they asked for, what they needed, and these predictions of of uh, hospital, you know, many of the, you know, I, I chronicled uh, the general earlier, but many of these facilities that they were erecting to to the tune of, you know, just very quickly, they're they're tremendously underutilized. And you know, I, I guess if you want to be kind, at the end of the day, you could say, well, it's better to be safe than sorry, and it certainly is. But the the ventilator um, hype 
was something that really bugged me from the get-go. And it is panning out that the need for these ventilators has been uh, extraordinarily overblown. And again, it's to further the panic and the folks that will benefit from the panic should be ashamed of themselves for doing it. Um, We segue very nicely into the queen of that, which is uh, Nancy Pelosi. This article says Republicans believe Democrats will weaponize the new coronavirus committee against Trump. House representatives believe Democrats are plotting to use a new coronavirus investigative committee to damage President Trump in the critical months ahead of the 2020 election. The House will vote in an emergency session, um, actually uh, fairly soon, uh, to pass a resolution creating a special House panel to oversee the distribution of billions of federal dollars dedicated to the response to the coronavirus outbreak. Now, at first blush, I am all for uh, a House panel overseeing the distribution of these federal dollars, but knowing that Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House and the House panel is um, the plurality of the House is Democrats, can anybody say the hen watch, or excuse me, the the hen watching the chicken coop? I mean, uh, having a, a dedicated panel to to look and see at what level of pork is, are in any of these bills is certainly a good idea. But having Democrats um, be the arbiters of what pork is and what pork is not is is absolutely ridiculous. Pelosi, a California Democrat, said the panel would prevent waste, fraud and abuse, and would be bipartisan. She appointed House Majority Whip Southern uh, South Carolina Democrat James Clyburn to oversee the panel. But Republicans say there's another more political purpose for the panel that follows in the path of the Democrats' Russian collusion investigation and their impeachment of Trump over his efforts to get Ukraine government officials to investigate Joe Biden. It says Democrats, they believe, will use the coronavirus committee as a platform to publicly excoriate Trump over his response to the coronavirus, which many Democrats have been harshly criticizing as negligent. Um, yeah, I, that that is a no-brainer. And again, you know, we try to be nice on this show. We try not to be uh, too bombastic. Um, but uh, for Nancy Pelosi to say that she wants a panel that would prevent waste, fraud, and abuse is is really just, it's a, it's a breathtaking comment. And it, it kind of uh, reminds me of Romans 16, uh, 17 through 20. It's, it's kind of a lengthy verse, but if you will permit me, um, it, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So the reason I 
kind of read that at this point in time is, and we revisit this from time to time on um, Reshaping America. My, my whole thrust of doing this show is, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there on the left and the right that they do their church thing over here and they do their political thing over there. They wear their Christian hat 48 weeks of the year. And for four weeks of the year, they take their Christian hat off. They put their political hat on. They get swept up by some um, lying, thieving, cheating politician. They pull the trigger for someone that has uh, in their personal life and their uh, way of governance or legislative record has absolutely nothing to do with the word of God. And when the smoke clears and the damage is done, they simply take their political hat off on or excuse me, off and put their Christian hat back on. And the damage, as I said, is done. So verses like Romans 16, 17 through 20 are, are verses that we really should be paying attention to all the time. Um, particularly this, uh, such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. And um, there are certainly a whole host of people that think it is tawdry, it is um, untoward, it is unseemly for religion and politics to mix. And um, I would agree with those people as it pertains to people stumping for votes behind sacred pulpits, um, naming parties and political people by name behind those pulpits. I, I would agree with you. But speaking of the issues of the day and speaking out when our elected officials are feigning concern with waste, fraud, and abuse, when their records of waste, fraud, and abuse are epic, to say the least, is is something that I think is just really unfortunate. And that's what we try to do on this show. We try to um, encourage people to look at the issues of the day um, from a Christian perspective. But... Uh, and, and, but, you know, not get too crazy and, and swallow everything that um, your party has to uh, has to offer. And that could be Democrat or Republican. So um, I guess we'll end the show with this. Um, Trump offers air shows and July 4th parade while his scientists prepare for second coronavirus wave. Now, that, that may sound very um, odd. But when I read that and I read this article here that Trump is is very optimistic and he wants to shoot for July 4th parades while his scientists are preparing for what could be a second wave of this, I hearken back to George W. Bush um, during the 9-11 days saying, be vigilant, but resume your life. Go to the mall, the park, the ball games. And people that did not understand his comment just said, well, this guy's the most inarticulate idiot in the world. What do you mean, George? Are we supposed to be vigilant and fight terrorism? Are we supposed to go back to the malls, the parks, and uh, and uh, sporting venues? And the answer is both. Um, so I guess I'll leave you with that. You know, Be vigilant. Um, pay attention to the people that are smarter than you and I, the epidemiologists, the scientists, but also pay attention to the politicians and the economists that, that are truth tellers. And, you know, let's be vigilant. Let's not be silly with this coronavirus, but 
Let's get on with the business of America. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.